One of the hottest topics right now that I wanted to talk to you about was this new earth shattering technology with these plasmoids and this plasma energy that you uh, are mm. working on with with Malcolm Bendall. Re- everyone really got like tipped off about this when you did that episode with Joe, mm-hmm. uh, when you and Graham were on Joe, right? Mm-hmm. And then um, what you can explain it better than I can. What what happened with that? Yeah, well, the subject of you know we were talking about ancient civilizations and did they have potentially an energy source that they were utilizing. Um, and that's always been a, a fair question, and one that's been in my mind for many years. And uh, I had mentioned a few things to Graham that I had, you know, had a, some conversations with a scientist that had been working on developing energy, ba- uh, an energy system based on plasma, plasma energy, which is the fourth state of matter. And at the time, I'm thinking, you know, what I've heard and seen so far sounds promising, but I'm, I, you know, I'm not qualified to have an opinion definitively on whether or not it's, it's valid and viable. Um, so I was very tentative at the time, and I knew, <clears throat> I knew at the time that there was going to be some testing in, in the pipeline that was going to determine whether or not this technology had merit. So I kind of was tentative. I, you know, I was not too open about it, but, um, <clears throat> excuse me, but I did disclose some information, maybe more than I should have at the time, um, in terms of the specifics, uh, where his lab was and all of this. So, um, as a result of that, it kind of led to one thing kind of led to another. And he actually came to America to, to meet up and who Malcolm. Okay. Malcolm. Um, so we met and we spent a considerable amount of time where he was tutoring me in the science and the technology. And the reason I had originally, um, connected with him was because, you know, in this work I had done in sacred geometry, uh, he had seen some of that, that had been posted by my friend, Brad Young, uh, from pod, uh, recordings of lectures I had given 15 or 20 years ago. And he'd seen some of that and saw that the geometry I was talking about had direct relevance to the, to the science and the technology of plasmas. So because of that, <clears throat> he reached out to me. And, and this, we're going back about eight years now. So we had regular conversations over a couple, two, three times a year where he was giving me updates. And then, you know, uh, at the end of that, it's kind of, so So that was sort of what led up to um, the comments on, the remarks on Joe Rogan's. Now, in the interim, I had uh, had an opportunity to talk to uh, uh, an Australian author by the name of Roland Perry, who is one of Australia's leading authors and uh, and investigative reporters. So Malcolm said I should read a book he had written that was a fiction book, but a lot of it was actually drawn from Roland's investigations of Malcolm. So, and and it turned out that Roland Perry and Malcolm were friends because Roland had spent four years investigating Malcolm and his claims and looking at some of this stuff that had come up in the 90s and early 2000s where he was in uh, 
basically, well, because his background was geochemistry, and he was an oil prospector by profession who was exploring alternative energies, like going back to, you know, stuff like the kind of stuff that you would trace back to people like Nikola Tesla and Victor Schauberger and others. There's a whole succession of these inventors throughout the 20th century and even into the 21st century. One of the most recent was uh, Ken Shoulders, who was doing a lot of research into plasma energy and how plasma energy might be used as, as an energy source. So I was starting to dive into more into the Tesla stuff and Victor Schauberger and some of these other, um, Stanley Meyer and some of these others that had been doing this kind of work. And it seemed like, yes, the more I learned, the more it seemed like, yeah, these guys really were onto something, right? So that just made me have more confidence that, that Malcolm was, if he's in that succession, in that line of, of research, and he's building upon what they've done, that gave me a sense that there's that maybe it's not as incredible as it may at first seem. Okay, so uh, <clears throat> Roland Perry called me from Australia, and I had about an hour-long conversation with me. He sent me a copy of a signed book. Um, and in this conversation, he basically um, said, yes, I spent you know four years investigating Malcolm, and, and, and essentially what happened was you know, he discovered an, an oil deposit, and one of the big oil companies... He had the licensing to drill, and one of the big oil companies that had overstated their reserves were getting in a lot of trouble because of that, and they saw that he would be an easy mark, and they were coveting that particular oil deposit. And so what they did was they began a a whole uh, campaign of bribery where they were bribing journalists and politicians, primarily in Tasmania, which is where the oil deposit was discovered. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. And as a result of that, there was a whole smear campaign launched against him to discredit him with the objective in mind of scaring, painting him as a nut job and scaring away investors, right? Because he was wanting to, trying to raise money to do the drilling. And he had several investors on board. Well, this whole thing turned into this big kind of a scandal, you know, politics, conspiracy theories, all of this. And finally, what happened was this oil company got caught. They got exposed, and the board of directors resigned. Do we know what oil company it was? Yes, we do. Can we say it? I would prefer not to. Okay. But I could. I just don't feel like drawing any extra attention. But if people out there want to do do some digging, they'll right. find out what it is, which company it was. Very well-known oil company. And the entire board of directors resigned in 2003. But Malcolm was so... Um, 
basically discouraged and disappointed and disgusted over the whole thing and that dealing with the politics that he decided that rather than going forward and try to push forward on this on the drilling he was just going to go back to what he had been doing in his free time for for nearly 40 years which was exploring alternative energies literally since he was like in high school is when he started it so he spent seven years isolated writing up his notes and building some prototypes. And then these prototypes were tested um, and the, the principles turned out to be valid. The prototypes did what they were predicted to do. And since then, now, since he came to America and we met, one of the things we did, and I have it right here, we did a put together 243 slide slideshow uh, that goes into all of the principles, which I'm still, still working on comprehending, um, because there's, there's a fair amount to it. <clears throat> you know, I mean, it's just like one of the things I kind of compare it to is maybe if we go back 120 years in the advent of alternating current electricity, you know, some of the basic applications can be relatively simple and you don't need to necessarily know all of the, all of the physics behind it, right. To be able to, to use it. You can, for example, rebuild the engine of a car without necessarily knowing all of the physics of an internal combustion engine, right? So, but, so, um, where it was at was, you know, after the, after the Rogan appearance, Joe asked me to come back. Well, <clears throat> so in the interim, that's what I said, Malcolm came over here and he was here. And we had set a date for me to be on the show, and uh, on the, I guess the day before, whatever, we drove from Georgia out to Austin, Texas. Myself, Brad Young, George Howard, who um, you know has been one of the key researchers uh, in the uh, Younger Dryas impact hypothesis, mm -hmm. and he's the uh, he runs the Cosmic Tusk website, and he was the one who organized the Cosmic Summit. Oh, the, wow. That was same, same. So George went with us. Malcolm came with because he was here, and I obviously was not going to just leave him sitting in the hotel room, so I invited him to come with. I knew he wanted to come with. Um, uh, <clears throat> and then Stephen Tuggle, who's kind of my assistant, um, been helping me out with stuff. So I think there was, what, five of us guys. We, we, we drove out there, went to Austin, and then uh, I go to be on Rogan's show the next day. And I called him up and I said, Joe, it just so happened, you want to talk about this energy? Well, it just so happens that the inventor is here with me. I could bring him on and he could probably explain and elucidate some of these stuff better than I could because I'm still kind of a, no I'm very much a novice at this stage of, of my understanding. So he said, sure, bring him on. Okay, so fast forward an, an hour or two, we get there, we go into the studio and Jamie um, Joe's producer has looked up and found some of this stuff, you know, part of the, 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 the smear campaign and had plunked that down on Joe's desk. So basically what happened was the substance of the interview went from talking about the science and the technology of plasmoid energy and its utilization into all of the conspiracy theories and politics and scandal and all of that. And as it proceeded, I'm constantly trying to steer the conversation back to the science. But Joe was kind of in attack mode 
Um, From the start, he's, he started questioning about this stuff. Yes. <clears throat> Which, and I don't blame him a bit. I mean, you know, it kind of came as a kind of a surprise. I, I, I knew this. I'd seen enough of this stuff. And, you know, when I had my conversation with Roland Perry, we talked about it. We discussed it. He explained the whole backstory and all of that. And, you know, yeah, Malcolm is an eccentric genius. Just like Ben was saying in our conversation, Ben Van Kirkwick was saying, you know, talking about a lot of these guys, you know, if you start digging into their personal lives, you're going to find, look at Nikola Tesla. You know, he was very antisocial and you could probably dig up and, and, and you know, let's say we're going to try to discredit Tesla's work by attacking Tesla the man. Right. And you got to be able to separate that, the two. And so by the end of the interview, as it, as it's proceeding, I'm getting more and more frustrated because we're not talking about the science. And I've got these this great slideshow that I put together and I keep trying to pull the attention back, but then it would go right back in. Joe would bring something up and, you know, um, and Malcolm got defensive. And so by the end of it, I'm just like, oh, God. and then plus in the process, you know, I knew that there was some some testing in the pipeline that was uh, going to be basically kept under wraps until the, 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 the results of the testing, it was not going to be made public until the testing was complete. Some of that stuff kind of came out in the in the heat of the of the exchange, which wasn't supposed to come out. And I'm thinking too, you know, at the same time, you know, well, the way this is played out, we didn't get into really a deep dive into the technology at all, hardly. And, and so I'm thinking, ah, you know, this is this, this is going to be crazy if this goes out. Just crazy. Did he ever come around at any point during the conversation and sort of calm down and actually? Well, yeah, a couple of times when, um, you know, Malcolm made some claims about things that happened and Jamie is over there, blah, 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 pulling it up. And there it comes right up, just exactly as Malcolm said. So there was a couple of points where, yeah, it wavered and, oh, well, you know, there was a couple of points there <clears throat> where Joe was like, wow, where he was actually able to see some of the stuff. But it just, the way it played out. So after the interview was over, we're packing up to leave and Joe calls me aside and says, would it be okay with you if, if we didn't air this right away so I could vet it? And I said, yeah, absolutely. Sure. Don't, don't air it until we've had a chance to go through this. And I did mention at that point, you know, like there's going to be over the next few months or three to six months, there's going to be some testing going on independently. And why don't we wait and see what the results of those tests are? <clears throat> and so a lot of that testing has been going on over the summer, over this summer. And so um, so we have some test results in hand, and the test results are coming out pretty, pretty unanimous that the technology does what, what has been claimed for it. It reduces the pollution by an enormous amount for any, any engine that's based upon um, fossil fuel mm. based and just, you know, diesel, regular gasoline, uh, propane, uh, um, natural gas, kerosene. Um, and we'll get into some of that. And again, I'm, I'm still at this point, like several of the physicists now that have witnessed the technology, um, in operation, one of them, George Lush, um, who did the annealing. He's a contractor with aerospace industry and NASA, very highly credentialed, highly credible individual, third generation 
um, in this techno in in the the annealing technology, which is you know the the preparation of the metals. You have to prepare mm-hmm. metals. You know if you're going to launch a rocket ship, you have to make sure that that metal is is prepared properly. Right. Right. Uh, so, like he said, and he kind of captured the uh, the response of a number of people that have looked into it is like, okay, I'm not exactly sure what's going on here, but it works. I've seen it work, you know, and mm. um, so he's not the only one. And so, like I said, there's been testing going on over the summer. They one of the most in in June and July they uh, they built the first industrial scale application of the technology and they retrofitted a 400 kilowatt generator at a power plant just outside of London oh wow and we're testing it there and i have the test results you know is there any speculation in or evidence that some of this technology could have been what was used in ancient times to build some of these mega structures like the pyramids or anything like that it's i think it's very possible and that was why i that was kind of because how i initially made those remarks on rogan's right show with with graham there's because that was the that was the subject that came up in the in the conversation mm-hmm. and so I kind of dropped that, and you know it's been crazy ever since. And of course, you know I was I put out a few places that you know I was just kind of in a holding pattern until some of the further tests. Now at this point, some testing has already gone down, right? And there were videos. I'd seen the videos. I talked to. Um, well, in fact, I went to a meeting in um, in Arkansas about a year ago. Um, and I met some of the key people that were coming together who saw the commercial opportunities of this. And one of them, his, one of the, these individuals uh, bankrolled the building of the prototypes and the, the testing fees and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, didn't you say there was a big car manufacturer somewhere in like Asia? Well, yeah, um, there are several car oh, manufacturers several. that are that are interested. I mean, nobody has, you know, signed on the dotted line yet, but they're, again... They were waiting to see what the results of the tests were going to be. Got it. Okay. Now, a few weeks ago in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, was the annual Tesla Tech Conference, where all of these people interested in Tesla's technology and interrelated things all come together every year to compare notes and see who's doing what. Malcolm and George Howard went out there. Mike Robertson, who is the CEO of HowTube, went down and you had three or four different people independently videoing and documenting the whole thing where they took a, uh, uh, like I think it was around a 40 kilowatt, I mean about 4,000 watt generator, and they retrofitted it with the technology Mm -hmm. in front of the audience. And they tested. They had, you know, independent people coming in. I, one was from, you know, I mean, from high level. I mean, Los Alamos and. Oh, wow. Yeah. There with mass spec, not, you know, somebody, one of the scientists that came there, I don't remember who he was affiliated with, but he brought a mass spectrometer. Um, now, not in the official capacity. Los Alamos was not involved in the official capacity, but people who had worked on that level. Okay. Is what I'm saying. So. They came in and you had um, you had 
people bringing in their own gas analyzers to analyze the effluents coming out of the exhaust of the generator. And they had uh, to determine, to, to, in other words, so they have the technology hooked up. You can turn it on, you can turn it off. And you start the generator and then you take a reading, right? Now in the tests that, I, that are going on currently as we speak, in a, in a laboratory, I can't say which laboratory yet. I will be able to, hopefully in the near future. But they've got two generators. They've got a control generator and, a, and one that they've hooked up with the technology so they can run both simultaneously. Um, and again, it's, it's bearing out. It's, it's showing that the technology does what it's supposed to do. What is it specifically about this technology that makes you think it could have been used thousands of years ago? Well, first of all, once you begin to understand what the plasma is and plasmoids, the geometry link, I think, for me, was the thing that really brought home that possibility. Um, because, uh, again, it, it's complicated. I don't know where to really even start because part of the problem is, again, my level of understanding of the technology is still, you know, it's still in its infancy. Uh, mm -hmm. Have me back in six months from now, and I will be able to talk more about it because I have been taking a deep dive. And because of the people I've met recently that are also highly qualified in the scientific world who are now taking their first look at it, we're kind of all simultaneously kind of like signed up for this course in plasma technology. So we're sharing and comparing notes as we mm -hmm. go forward. But didn't he say that, so he, Malcolm explained how this technology, he built it on the back of your sacred geometry that you discovered. Well, he says that, he says that I built the foundation and he built the house on top of it, is how he puts it. I think he's giving me more credit than I'm due, but apparently he found something of considerable value in what I had done because it all comes down to geometry. The control, see, geometry, the, the plasmoids have an affinity for certain geometries, and they are self-organizing. They will cohere into an organized system. Now, once they go from, now, <clears throat> let's just go into a little background. If you've got four states of matter, right, solid, liquid, gas, and plasma. Plasma is the most ubiquitous energy throughout the universe. It's probably 90% of all, well, actually matter, all matter in the universe, right, is mostly plasma. The sun is plasma. Lightning is plasma. Aurora borealis, the northern lights, that's plasma. Okay, so all of these things, these are manifestations of plasma, and plasmas are being used now uh, industrially for a number of purposes, which I'm still learning about. But um, the question is, is could ancient cultures have known about it? And I think the answer is yes, I think they could have, and... But were they? And I would say I think it's very possible that they could have been. Why? Well, just like electricity is such a ubiquitous phenomena, mm -hmm. and you know, 150 years ago, consider what we knew about electricity 150 years ago compared to what we're doing now and its applications, right? And you look at the whole 20th century. You've got is basically taking the basic principles of electricity, electromagnetism, and learning how to develop technologies from that, right? So, I mean, think about all the things that we're doing with electricity right here and right now, right? Okay, so 
electrical phenomena, electromagnetic phenomena, would be a natural thing for any evolving civilization to utilize, to exploit. Well, in plasma, you've got, going back, solid, you've got strongly bound electrons and neutrons. And if you add energy to the system, like if you add energy in the, in the form of heat to a solid, and every solid will have a different melting point, but if you add energy, the solid will melt. Okay, so now it becomes a liquid. The electrons and the neutrons are still bound, but there's much greater degrees of freedom, you know, and that's why uh, a, a liquid will flow. And, and, you know, a solid, if we set a solid down, it doesn't change its shape because of how, how strongly the electrons and the neutrons are bound. Okay, but a liquid, like what's in this can, the liquid is taking the shape of the can. If I have anything else, if I pour it into that cup there, it's going to take the shape of the cup, mm-hmm. right? Now, if you add more energy to it, it be, the, 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 the bonds between the electrons and neutrons weaken even more. And now you're in a gas phase, right? So you now have greater degrees of freedom. However, there's still a connection. They're still bound. Even though it's a weak bind, weak bonding, they're still bound. Right. Add more energy, and now you have a complete disassociation between electron and neutrons now are ions, and they're freely flow, flowing. The interesting thing about a plasma is it can be electromagnetically conductive, and it has an affinity for certain geometries, and that's the key. See, and and the the one form that it's most drawn to is that of a torus, you know, a, a kind of a donut shape. So when the the electrons and the neutrons and the ions, when they're in the form of plasma, they're completely unbound. Yes. Not connected at all. Not connected at all. Can you see them? Well, no. you can see lightning, right? Well, yeah, you can see lightning. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. You can see ball lightning. You right. Know, controversial, but it has been proven to exist. Ball lightning is plasma. It's a self-cohered, self-organized system of, of, of plasma. So the key is, though, with the technology here, is being able to utilize the plasma. And when it becomes self-organized into a coherent system, that's when it's called a plasmoid. See, rather than just a free ocean of electrons and ions without a structure. Because once it becomes cohered, self-organized into a, a torus, it can now be used as a source of energy. Now... I don't know if I've gotten every detail of this explanation exactly correct, but that's kind of the basic concept. Got it. And so what Malcolm learned how to do, number one, he learned how to um, create a plasma at lower energies than nor- by, by, by mixing air and water together where the air had been pre-ionized by being exposed to ultraviolet light, roughly 100 micron wavelength, which is the same wavelength that's of light that's emitted when the plasmoids are created. Now, the plasmoids are being created in out of water, not air, but water, by producing bubbles. <clears throat> bubbles that are large bubbles you can see, but very small micro bubbles that you can't see. They're microscopic bubbles, okay? The microscopic bubbles were 
a necessity because only the microscopic bubbles are perfectly spherical, mm. symmetrical and spherical. So what happens is, and, and I can play a video of it here in a, a minute, what we call the bubbler, and it's the plasmoid generator. And what this does is it takes this pre-ionized air and it mixes it with water and it injects it into the bubbler. And there the bubbler is subjected to alternating vacuum and compression, vacuum and compression. The vacuum creates the bubbles. The compression causes the collapse of the bubbles. And these are they're called cavitation bubbles. And there is a history. If anybody listening to this wants to, to, to learn more, look up cavitation bubbles. Okay. Okay, so with the, when the vacuum is applied, the cavitation bubbles picture a sphere that's rotating that has an axis, right? Okay. Now imagine that you take that sphere and you collapse it along that axis so that it becomes this donut shape. And imagine you're... In a cross section, it actually will look as it's what it's doing is it's assuming the shape of an infinity symbol, right? And so the if the the, the what do we got there? Yeah, there we go, right there. There we go. Look, and so I so these are so this representation would be what all of the little microscopic bubbles are in the in the water. Yes, except. The difference is what this is showing is a collapse from one, along one axis, and then you've got this vortex. You see on the far right, you've got this vortex coming down. Yeah. What's happening in this system is that the collapse is coming from both the north and the south pole and meeting at the equatorial plane. Okay. So now you can see there you've got this, this vortex that's coming down almost like you see it looks like almost like a tornado hanging down. Yep. Okay. Now picture, but you've got that coming from both both uh, poles. From the bottom and the top. Bottom and the top, and they're meeting at the equatorial plane. And what's happening is that the plasmas are accelerating down that vortex to high rates of speed, but in opposite directions. So the northern hemisphere, it's counter, it's clockwise. Okay. In the in the southern hemisphere, it's counterclockwise, and that's meeting at that zero point. And this is what is now being referred to as the zero-point energy, because here's where the energy is being harvested. And what I should probably do, let's see here if I can... Collapsed sphere. Yeah, so here we're looking at it from above. And if you follow the path here of this thing, it's spiraling around mm -hmm. down towards the center. It's spiraling into this vortex. But the same thing is happening in the opposite direction from the southern hemisphere. Um, and then if you take cross-sections of it, like this is a 16-fold division wow. of that torus. And so if you look at one of them, there's your, there's your infinity symbol that I was talking oh, about. Oh, wow. Which might be a first hint. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. What's, what is the hint? It's football season, baby, and you know what time it is. Time to gamble all that hard-earned money on some sports. As a better, you demand perfection, and that's where my bookie delivers. NFL, college football, and a brand-new cash-out system give you the options to bet and win all season long. First two legs of your parlay already hit. You can cash it out early and place another bet or sweat it out and let it ride for a chance at an even bigger payday. Join the MyBookie family for an entire season filled with daily odds boosts, same-day parlays, and super contests. And this season, MyBookie has a no-strings-attached cash bonus that lets you deposit and withdraw quick. Use the promo code DJP on a deposit of $50 or more, and you can receive up to $200 cash instantly into your MyBookie account. Bet your deposit amount once and you're ready to withdraw at any time. Again, that's promo code DJP to claim your cash deposit bonus. You can bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only with MyBookie. You've seen the infinity symbol, Of course. Right? It right. looks like 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 an eightfold. Well, right? And then you've seen the, the yin-yang symbol as well, right? Right. Well, that kind of represents the, the, the universal opposites that come together because right. they... In the infinity symbol, I mean, in the in the yin yang symbol, we see it. We just look at it. It's, it's a fixed image, but in reality, you you have to imagine that the whole the whole system is spinning. It's dynamically in motion. Oh, see, okay, yeah, interesting. So now the other thing is is that he realized that as this spiraling. Plasma, electrons and ions are spiraling down this vortex, is that you're changing frequencies. So it's vibration. They're, okay. they're changing the frequencies, okay. and the frequencies coincide with the frequencies of the colors of the spectrum. So that's what you got right there. Then the further, the next step was realizing that the elements could be arrayed along this vortex. And you see the vortex is spinning down, and, and each of those frequencies correlates with one of the elements. Because how, okay, Explain to me, for, like, I'm an idiot. How do the frequencies correlate with the elements? Well, because every single thing in reality vibrates. Everything right. vibrates. Right. You have colors vibrate, sounds vibrate, everything. This can vibrates, right? Everything vibrates according to certain frequencies in every element. Has a different frequency. Has a different frequency. Yeah. And so he discovered that those frequencies can be plotted along this spiraling vortex, which is the pathway of the plasmas as they're spinning down towards the zero point. And the frequency is based upon this particular, the triangle that you see right here. Okay, we got matter, light, and zero matter. Mm-hmm. Let's not try to get into that because okay. yeah. we're getting pretty esoteric. There. Yes, we now, are. Now, it is not necessary because, like, I know of like one of the people that I met in Arkansas. His son-in-law is a mechanic, and they sent him the specs and the, the components. He built the thing in his shop, 
and tested it. I've seen his video. He, he, really? Yeah, it took him five hours to retrofit an internal combustion engine. And he sends back to his uncle, I mean, his 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 uh, father-in-law, he says, well, I don't know how it worked, but I hooked it up and it worked. And he put the gas analyzer there in the exhaust pipe and saw for himself what changed when he turned the technology on and then when he turned it off. So, and I'm at that point where, okay, I've seen enough now and I've seen it myself work. I have been in the lab and seen it work. I've stood right there while independent engineers and scientists with their equipment were testing. And so I watched myself and have seen it. And, and I was already convinced because I'd seen probably half a dozen videos because every time it's been tested, there have been video recordings of it. And I'd seen the videos from the uh, Albuquerque at the Tesla Tech Conference. And George Howard, who was a total skeptic, he was there. And um, yeah, he came away. Oh, well. So there's a video of him getting down. You've got the, you're, they're running a generator without the technology and they had to move it outside because the fumes were so strong, right? Coming out of the, the, the exhaust fumes were coming out yep. of, the, of, the, of the exhaust pipe were so strong. They had to move the thing outside onto the loading dock, right? They turned the technology on and within about a minute, a couple of minutes, instead of carbon dioxide, carbon monoxide, nitrous oxide, methane, and other hydrocarbons coming out, they've all gone down to just a small percentage. Some of them we've even zeroed out. And what's coming out is like 20% oxygen. Optimum atmospheric levels of oxygen that you would be breathing in a pristine, unpolluted, natural environment. And that's what's coming out of the exhaust. This is 20% oxygen in here right now, right? Probably not that much inside here. But if you were out in, as George Lush put it, in, a, in an, uh, a, a pristine Alpen meadow with unpolluted air, and you're breathing that, that's what's coming out of the exhaust. Wow. George got down. George the skeptic got down, and we were joking, still joking. It's on video. It's Because all this is being live streamed now. Mm-hmm. So anybody who wanted to sign up, and there were people all over the world watching this happen real time, okay? And he gets down, and we're joking about how George Howard was huffing the plasmoids. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, man. Yeah, I mean, the skeptics have been having a field day. Um, so what else do we okay, got? Here, here's, okay, so this, this is the mechanic, the son-in-law that I just told you about. He's just finished retrofitting a generator in his shop. And, and I, you know, I watched the video of him saying, yeah, I, I don't know how it works, but I just hooked it up and turned it on and it works. So I can see here, this is the, this is the bubbler right here. This is in this tube is where the plasmas are being generated. And this is where the UV light, they're, they're pre-ionizing the air in this chamber. You can't see the key of the whole system is the thunderstorm generator. The thunderstorm generator. The thunderstorm generator. Dun, yes. dun, dun. That's what they call it. Um, so the, those donut shapes um, are being created inside that cylinder, that bubbler. Yes, that's right. And is there just one uh, toroid? Is that what it's called? Toroid? The, the donut shape? Taurus. Taurus. Yeah, yeah. So is there only one of those inside that bubbler? Oh, no, there's billions there's of them. Billions, billions of them. Billions of oh, them. Oh, wow. Yeah, billions of them. Now, this is a video. I don't know. If, can we play a video? Yeah, we can play a video. Okay, let's see. Let's see if Just I turn can. Turn the get, volume down on your computer. Turn the volume down on my computer. 
yeah. is what uh, you said. Uh, you don't you don't have to. Just play it. It's, you're fine. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay. So this is Gary Ling. He's in London and he's been overseeing the the uh, the build out uh, of the uh, of the the big industrial. Now this is this is a couple of years ago where they were still testing like backyard scale of things. So this is he's got this in his backyard. They've built the thing. They've hooked it up to a Honda generator, and I'm going to fast forward through some of it. But um, he gives a great explanation of what's going on. Let's see if I can. Okay, so he's pointing the gas analyzer here. Okay. And they're going to hook up, they're going to take the probe from the the analyzer, and they're going to put it, the exhaust pipe is, is down here, and they're going to feed it into the exhaust pipe. Okay. Um, I imagine, I think this is the guy who has built, built it according to Malcolm's specifications. Yeah, so he's now going to uncover, so you see the generator there, and okay, so I'm going to pause it right here for a second. Okay, so this is the, the ionizer. So they feed air into the top. It's subjected to UV light of a, a frequency of about 100 microns. And then that comes down here in this pipe, and then it's mixed with water, and that comes in, and here's the bubblers where the cavitation bubbles are created. And when those billions of cavitation bubbles collapse, they emit a light. They emit frequency of UV light, ultraviolet light, in the same at the same frequency as the pre-ionizer chamber. And it was this pre-ionizer chamber that is the, the key to being able to generate the plasmas at lower energies than it would normally take to cause that disassociation between electrons and neutrons, okay? I don't fully understand exactly how it works. Again, get me back on six months and I should be able to be a little bit more, you know, more... Uh, so this U, it's, it's UV. That's that's the, where the energy is coming from. The UV light. The UV light. I wouldn't say that's where the energy is coming from, okay. but the UV does is emitted when those cavitation bubbles collapse. Okay. Now that UV light, perhaps, yeah. Again, I'm my understanding of this is is still in its infancy. Over here, this this thing right here is where the water intake. The water is fed in here, and it goes down, and that water comes up here into the bubbler. And then the bubbler captures those plasmoids and feeds them into the thunderstorm generator, which you can't see here. But as we go around, let's see, I'll, I'll fast forward here as he's coming around. Here we go. He's, he's pointing out, and he's explaining how the bubbler works. And then he's coming around. Yes. Yeah, so here he's talking. He says, this is, the, this is the, the, the center of the whole system. This is your thunderstorm generator right here. Okay. And um, if people want to kind of get the basic principle of how the thunderstorm generator looks, look up the Rank, R-A-N-Q-U-E, Rank Hilch uh, Vortex Tube. The Rank Hilch Vortex Tube. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe Stephen can... Yeah, Steve can pull it up. But actually, I think I've got a slide of it here. <clears throat> so so this is the heart of the system here is the thunderstorm generator. And what it does is it separates, takes room temperature air and separates it into extremely hot and extremely cold and then brings them back together. And in that... So you've got a stream of plasma that's really hot and a stream that's really cold. Um so it, it's mimicking, in a way, a thunderstorm, which brings together a cold front and a hot front. And you know in a thunderstorm, 
it, it, now when you bring that together, what does it do? It emits lightning, right? And lightning is plasma. So somehow what he's done is he's come up with a system of mimicking the thunderstorm. Um, and so let's see. Let me just go ahead and jump ahead here. I think they're going to – yeah, he's explaining the operation of the of the thunderstorm generator right there. So Take a good look. at It's a it's – a, these are actually – there's another sphere inside the sphere. There's two spheres on each end. There's another sphere inside, mm-hmm. and then there's a pipe or a tube, and it has another tube going inside it. Okay. Okay. And, okay, so here you can see the – gas analyzer has been fed into the exhaust right here. So what they're going to do is they're going to do a series of tests, turning on the technology and turning it off, and then watching what happens to the change in the the emissions that are coming out. So there he's hooking it up. They're running the gas analyzer. And let's see here. we don't have the volume, so I'm not sure exactly what part. That this is Gary Ling here. Mm-hmm. He's this is actually his backyard where they've built this thing, and he's he's friends with Malcolm and has known him for years. Um, so uh, I probably skipped over, but they've got so that the exhaust coming out of that thing is twenty percent oxygen. Could, that could be nineteen, could be twenty. The highest I've seen is twenty point nine percent. So, so is that is that the is that the main reason people would want to use this is to lower carbon emissions and to decrease like pollution and things like that, or are there any other? Well, that would be benefits of using this. Technology? One of the main reasons. Okay, look at here. Uh, let's see what we got happening here. They're zooming in on the analyzer. Let's see. So he's turning the te- let's see what do we got? Did he just turn the technology on? Oh, he just turned the technology off. So you can see carbon, this is carbon monoxide right here, CO. Mm-hmm. Let me back up just a little bit. Let's see. Did he? Let's go in. Let's see. Okay, yeah. So you can see there. Okay, there you are. That's with the technology on. Carbon Zero. emissions is what? Zero. Zero. Let's see. So. Carbon monoxide is the top reading, and hydrocarbons is, let's see, so this is percent of carbon monoxide. This is the parts per million of hydrocarbons in general. Ah, got it. So now they will turn the technology back uh, off, and then we'll see what happens as soon as he turns the technology off. This guy's a terrible cameraman. (laughs) Well, yes. But, yes, that's why... We had more better. We had professionals out at the right, Tesla right. Tech. Uh, come on here. Let's let's uh, let's just fast forward a little bit here. Okay, so now he's presumably going to turn it off. It's been a couple of months since I've watched this. Okay, he just turned it off. And the generator's running. So let's see what's going to happen there now. Okay, so now you can see what happened. He's turning. Look here. You can see the carbon monoxide percentage going up. Hydrocarbons parts per million. Or no, okay, so so he's turned it on, now he's turned it off. I mean, I'm sorry. So now he's turned the technology back. I guess I skipped forward a little bit too much. So now he's turned the technology back on. So what we're seeing is that those numbers are going down. You see uh, that? Okay. See it? What's that say, 
Um, whoops. Uh, <laughs> well, he's he's explaining it as it goes here. Um, let's see. But let's not spend too much time okay. on that. Let's uh, here we here's the um, cross section of the the spheres. Ah, so this is okay. So this is a diagram of what's going on inside the thunderstorm generator. Yes, inside of those those spheres. Exhaust gases are introduced at an angle. First, expand anti-clockwise and then contract clockwise as they pass through the cavity between two spheres. This creates opposing tornadoes within both the outer and inner spheres. So again, this is this is available. People can download this and go through it themselves, and several people are now. Uh huh. Um, this is the one I was talking about. This is your Rank Hilch Vortex tube. Okay. Using compressed air supply with a room temperature of plus 23 degrees centigrade. Um, let's see, what does that convert to to Fahrenheit? 73. 73. Thanks. Thanks, okay. Steve. So, right, right, almost room temperature. All right, so check this out now. Okay, so introduced at, at, at almost room temperature. You mm -hmm. said 73. Yep. Okay, so what is happening, there's no moving parts in this thing. It simply is based upon vortex geometry, these whirling vortexes. So what comes in, this is the chamber um, where um, pressurized gas is injected tangentially into a swirl chamber. So this is the swirl chamber in a vortex tube. In the thunderstorm generator, the spheres are the uh, swirl chambers. So that, okay, so the first part it gets introduced to is the sphere. And that's, yes. that begins the swirl effect yes. of the, of the Gas? Of the air? Yes. Okay. Argon gas. Argon gas. And then it begins to travel through the tubes. Mm -hmm. And there's two tubes. There's an inner tube and an outer tube. The inner tube looks like cold air and the outer tube looks like yes. hot air. And look at the cold. The cold air is coming out at minus 15. Celsius. With the minimum recorded temperature of minus 50. Stephen, what, uh, Steve, what does minus 50 convert to Fahrenheit? So negative 58 degrees below zero Fahrenheit is wow. coming out one end. At the other end, the maximum recorded temperature in the vortex tube is 200 degrees centigrade. Which is 392 Fahrenheit. So we go from a high of 392 to a low of, what did you say, 50-some below zero. So 58. So we're talking well over 400 degrees separation in this tube with no moving parts. And in reading up on it, one of the things that comes up on is that scientists are saying, well, we don't know how exactly how it works, but it works, and it's being used throughout the industry. You know, where it's used in, in nuclear reactors, it's used in air conditioning technology, it's got multiple applications, these vortex tubes, and oh, nobody okay. really knows how it works. Really? Yeah. These same vortex tubes are used in air conditioning units? Yes. Well, in air, the air conditioning industry uses them. And now I want you to look down on what's happening on this end. Right. It's There's a cone. Off. There's yeah. a cone right here. And it's this cone that is pushing this high temperature. You see, as it's coming, look at, see what's happening is it's traveling down this tube. It's getting hotter and hotter and hotter. Got and it. it's ejected, uh, like, see, due to the conical nozzle at the end of the tube, only the outer shell of the compressed gas is allowed to escape at that end. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, 
the remainder is forced to return in an inner vortex. And you can see this. So here it's returning. It's coming back. And it's cooling as it's coming back up the tube um, of reduced diameter within the outer vortex. And it is now being emitted at the other end. Okay. Now, I don't... That's pretty easy to understand. Yeah. But I how it works, I don't know. Yeah. Where, where does the hot air go and where does the cold air go? Well, it just goes out. That's the exhaust? Yeah. Huh. Now, I guess, you know, say in air conditioning applications, I guess you would capture that cold air right. or cooling nuclear reactors. There's some some adaptation of this type of technology. Mm-hmm. And again, I haven't researched this in depth. So give me another few months. Okay. Um, so, yeah, here's, an, here's yeah, another version. Another, oh, this is a great diagram. Okay. Yeah. Compressed air, normally 80 to 100 uh, PSIG which is uh, 6.9 bar, is ejected tangentially. So up here comes your air supply. and Up to a million RPMs. Yeah. The air steam revolves towards the hot end where some escapes through the control valve. The remaining air, still spinning, is forced back through the center of this outer vortex. The inner stream gives off kinetic energy in the... Nah. Huh. Sorry about that. But again, you can find this online. Okay. And anybody who's watching this, and I would encourage people to do your own research, and really what we're trying to do is sort of get a group of, of people who are students of this who were, were exploring it, testing it, comparing notes, and so on. Okay. Um, there's a lot of stuff we'll we'll skip over here. This is... Uh, yeah, so what is that big diagram above that? Of all, These are all the elements... This is where it gets interesting. This, this is, is the plasmoid unification model. Okay. And again, this is basically this integrates all sounds, all colors, all elements. All of the sacred numbers are in this. Right. Uh, astronomical numbers. You look up here in the right, the sun, 864,000. Um, and you, people can go through this and work this now. I've had some posters, full big size posters, printed up of this that mm-hmm. uh, that I would sell to anybody who wanted one. If somebody wants to really get in and study this, it really looks cool up on the wall. But you, you know, it's there's so much information in here. Um, if anybody wants to dive into this, what's palm, the diagram on the bottom corner? There's the sun, the Earth, and the Moon down here. Yeah, yeah. showing the numbers. You know, the sun is you know eight hundred sixty four thousand miles. Um, and he's showing how those numbers that measure the sun, the earth, and the moon correlate to these various frequencies. Oh, wow. So in our one of our, our previous uh, discussion with Ben, we did touch upon some of this. Right. You know? So here's your, your basic diagram. Okay. Air inlet, your pre-ionization chamber which is fed now into the plasmoid generator. Mm-hmm. Then that's fed into the thunderstorm generator, which then is fed through the carburetor into the generator. It captures the exhaust output from the manifold and feeds it right back into the thunderstorm generator. So does this replace the need for fossil fuels? You use fossil fuels only to get the, the initial temperatures to create the plasmas, and then once you've done that, it's self-perpetuating. 
but it requires something to get the energy up. So the, 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 the models now use fossil fuel only in the initial, but once the, the requisite temperatures have been reached and you've generated the plasmas, now it is, and I suppose, you know, at some point, I don't know, it would run down, but it can run. I mean, in the, as long as the equipment holds up. So one of the things that's now being done, like with George Lush, is they're now going to go into really high-performance metals. So I think the lifespan of this process is going to be dependent upon the lifespan of the materials out of which the thing is made, particularly right. the thunderstorm. Okay. So in the interview, which I can play, I mean, I have it here, we can play the interview with him where he's talking about now, you know, he's got the industry contact, so they're going to be... Um, going into like high high performance materials the kind of materials you would be using in the aerospace industry to build a new generation of thunderstorm generators wow so the pre-ionization chamber the function of the chamber is to pre-ionize incoming air to the engine air is drawn into the chamber by a vacuum emanating from the engine that is to be pre-treated before it enters the plasmoid generator that's the bubbler it is pre-treated by exposing the air to ultraviolet light at a specific frequency of 100 microns. This frequency is determined by the frequency of ultraviolet light emitted from collapsing bubbles within our plasmoid generator. The bubbles collapse violently as they are exposed sequentially to both vacuum and pressure pulses, resulting from the movement of pistons within the combustion chamber of the engine or the generator. Ah, uh, okay. This has the effect of making the gases, this, this pre-ionization has the effect of making the gases more reactive by ionizing a small percentage of each gas present in the air, whether nitrogen, oxygen, or argon. And then this all pumps back into the carburetor of the it, of the motor of the engine yeah i well yes and then uh, and then it, it somehow keeps cycling through the it engine keeps cycling and recycling so everything that's coming out in terms of of okay so oxygen is coming out because that's basically it's air pure air coming out because all the other stuff the the the, the hydrocarbons the carbon monoxide carbon dioxide nitrous oxide that's all being recaptured and broken down in a sort of a low-energy atomic reaction is what it's called. They're okay. calling it. Okay, got it. And so here, you know, here's the diagram, the schematics of the pre-ionization chamber. And so, again, all of this is open source, so people can go on. And, you know, I mean, yeah, you can go ahead and bluster all you want about, about hoaxes and frauds and all of that. But while you're doing that, or while these people are doing that, others are actually now building these using these. I know at least one guy in Australia, a young fella, a uh, very smart young fella who is building his own machine by using the schematics. And we should soon be hearing from him what his results are. Here's again, a cross section, uh, the schematic of the, of the bubbler and mm -hmm. all the parts are that you would need to, to build one are right here. Here's all the part numbers. Um, that you need to put the thing together and the team that's come together around this is totally open to helping you know backyard mechanics and home experimenters who want to try to build the small scale of this technology um, okay yeah so it's been proven it's been done people have these some of these backyard engineers have done it they've obviously well the first one it. we saw that yeah was we just that watched was. that yeah right uh-huh so uh, what are the ultimate implications of this technology it will massively increase the efficiency 
of right. any engine or generator. And current Anything combustion. that runs on fossil fuels will be, the, the, the efficiency will be massively, and this is one of the things that's now been demonstrated repeatedly, it massively increases the efficiency. And like George Lush says, once we have cars that are retrofitted with this, um, he, the way he put it, he said, like, instead of cars, you know, driving down the city streets, exhausting pollution, they'll be like mobile trees, because that's what trees do. Right. They take in the, 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 uh, the carbon dioxide and they put out oxygen. And then that oxygen, like if in a nice pristine forest where you've got healthy forests with trees, I mean, it's 19, 20, 21 percent oxygen. That's Yeah. Combustion engines are only 33% efficient, I think. I think that's, yeah, but like maximum, maybe. Yeah. So, so yeah, the, all of this will be, is available for people to study. So, wow. I would say, you know, good, be skeptical, be skeptical, mm -hmm. but be open minded and do your homework um, and decide for yourself. And here, again, here's your, you can see this, the swirling. It's just like, it's very much the, the Hilch vortex tube, okay. except. In the Hilch vortex tube, the cold air is in a confined stream within the, the hot air, right? Correct. Okay, in the thunderstorm generator, you actually have a pipe, a tube, inside another tube. Okay. And here's, this is your swirl chamber right here. Now, what is what are these depictions that he, Malcolm was showing on the the descriptive series he did on your website where he was basically showing this giant sort of like pine cone shaped thing. It was metal and it was like a, it looked like a giant metal pine cone. Oh, I think that was the tur one of the turbines. It was huge. It looked huge, at least in was the video. Was it this thing here? Yes, that thing up there. Yeah. What's That's that called? The, the Vajra Implosive Turbine. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. The Vajra Implosive Turbine. The Vajra is... What the hell is from that? <laughs> I was afraid you were going to ask me. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Blue Chew. Let's talk about sex. Fellas, do you remember the days when you were always ready to go? Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence boost in bed. Listen up. BlueChew.com Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, except it comes in a chewable tablet and it's only a fraction of the cost. The beautiful thing is you can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead and always be ready when that special opportunity arises. The process is super simple. Just sign up at bluechew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. And the best part is it's all done online. So no visits to doctor's offices, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made right here in the USA, and they're prepared and shipped directly to your door in a discreet package. Of course, first impressions are very important. 
but no one ever talks about the lasting impressions. Women say there's nothing sexier than confidence, and Blue Chew will give you the confidence where it counts. Try Blue Chew for free by using the promo code CONCRETE at checkout. It's K-O-N-C-R-E-T-E, and all you gotta pay is $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com using the promo code CONCRETE at checkout to get your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more important details and safety information, and we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring this episode. Back to the show. Well, Avajra was Indra's weapon, or Indra's, yeah. Who? Indra. Who's Indra? He's the one of the Hindu gods. Maybe Steve would gods. look Indra up for us and report back to us. Yes. Indra. Indra. I-N-D-R-A. Okay. King of Divas. The King of Divas. So we can look so at So Indra wielded the Vajra. That was a source of his power. When was Indra around? Well, I mean, he's mythical, so I... Do we have any ideas based on texts or... When... Well, this is our Vedic texts. Which... Oh, got it. Okay. Indra is the king of the divas, godlike deities, and Svarga, heaven, yeah. in Hinduism. He's associated with the sky, lightning, weather, thunder, storms, rains, See? river flows, and war. Indra's powers are similar to other Indo-European deities, such as Jupiter, Perun, Pekunas, Zalmaxas, Taranis, Zeus, and Thor, part of the greater Proto-Indo-European mythology. Uh, da, 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 da. Okay, there's a picture of Indra riding on a elephant with two holding his or her arms out, holding, is that two of those Vajras? They what? look like the Vajras. Yeah, Steve, look up Vajra, V-A-J-R-A. And so Zeus also wielded air. Whoa, what are these? The Vajra. Or you might say an ancient Hindu thunderstorm generator. The Vajra thunderbolt is a legendary and ritualistic weapon symbolizing the properties of a diamond and a thunderbolt. The Vajra is a type of club with a ribbed spherical head. The ribs may meet in a ball-shaped top, or they may be separate and end in sharp points with which to stab. The Vajra is a weapon of Indra, uh, the Vedic king of the divas and heaven. It is symbolic. It is used symbolically by the Dharmic traditions of Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, Jainism, often to represent firmness of spirit and spiritual power. Okay. It's a okay, weapon. So no, no, it's a thunderbolt. Well, weapon. they call it a weapon, yes. But now, and the thun and, and note again that Indra is the god of lightning and thunderstorms. That might be a clue right there. The Vajra. Now look at the Vajra. It says here. Uh, so did Malcolm call this thing the Vajra to to commemorate to commemorate? So a ribbed spherical head. A ribbed spherical head. The yeah. ribs may meet in a ball-shaped top. Mm-hmm. Picture the thunderstorm generator you just saw with the ball-shaped top. Mm -hmm. When was this stuff written? When was it, when well, did... the Vedas are way old. Like how old? Some of the oldest writings, 5,000 years old probably. 5,000 years old. Yeah. Symbol, of symbol for nature of reality or sunyata, indicating the endless creativity, potency, and skillful activity. The Vajra and Bell are used in many rites by the Lama or any Vajranaya 
practitioner of sadhana. The Vajra is a male polysemic symbol that represents many things for the tantrika. The Vajra is representative. Okay. Okay. So this is an ancient tool. Mm -hmm. I like that better than a weapon, an ancient tool. Mm -hmm. But it was a source of power. Right. For Indra. Right. As well as Zeus, because Zeus, Zeus's thunderbolt was a variation of the Vajra. It's also found throughout the Tibetan gods. Um, so why don't we continue on? Yeah. Okay, so here, this is a, so this is a diesel retrofit. Mm -hmm. And here you can, now, you should, at this point, you're going to be recognizing the components. Right. There's your water intake. There's your pre-ionization chamber. There's your plasmoid generator. And there's your thunderstorm generator. And a little closer up here, there's two versions, two variations. So they're still experimenting with the optimum shape and geometry of of the thunderstorm generators. Um, but interestingly, I called attention when people see the interview coming up with with uh, the one we did yesterday with mm -hmm. Ben. Yep. Uh, he brings up showing those concentric circles. Yes. And I called attention to that. Measuring the vases. Measuring the vases, yes. And you saw there were four, three, two, one. Yep. Those are the optimum dimensions for the concentric spheres of the thunderstorm generator. So this <sighs> one is four. The next one inside is three. And here get, we're, we're getting up here now to the larger scale applications. Um, here you can see this is the thunderstorm generator with one sphere. And, Holy and, shit, that's massive. Yeah. So you've got the sphere here at the end, and you've got, here's the inner tube, the, the, the smaller tube that's going up the middle of the outer tube. Mm -hmm. So it's this is operating again like the, the, the vortex generator. So they've got your engine an analyzers here, your electronic control panel. There's your exhaust analyzer. So it's printing out what the results are. So this is a retrofit, as it says, to a Caterpillar generator. And this is showing, you know, the so you've got a 24-inch stainless steel sphere here, and inside that is an 18-inch sphere. Mm -hmm. um, so here's your, there's your bubbler. And this thing works. Oh, yeah. This is one of the tests right here. And you can see they, all the analysts, this has all been videoed. It's had independent witnesses monitoring this. I mean, this, so this was a provide, this generator was provided by Caterpillar, the company. You've oh, heard of them, right? Yeah. Yeah. What happened here? Well, Zero okay. point black hole. So right here, what he's calling the event horizon is where the plasmas are meeting and accumulating. And what happens is they start, see, each each of the plasmas is of the has like almost like a mini black hole at its center mm -hmm. with this very powerful implosive uh, force, right? Now, if you assemble a bunch of them together, what happens is those those implosive zero points accumulate and act as a single organized system. So the inner pipe, if you look at this inner pipe that's going in here, they ran it up. I believe if I remember right, what they did was this one had three spheres and three pipes. 
but the intensity was so great they had to take the middle one out because what was happening is the plasmas are embedding themselves into the crystalline metal of the pipes. And then somehow they're these zero points are self-cohering and creating this implosive force. Now I'm I'm very you know, I'm 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 kind of grasping here at this. I've seen this on the videos, had it explained to me, but I can't say that I fully understand what's going on here, other than the fact that you have these billions of plasmas, plasmoids forming this coherent implosive force. And then what happens is that the pipe, this was, this was the inner pipe. This pipe here is this one. Mm. So, and that right here is where that implosion occurred. Okay. So we're looking at a picture of this inner pipe and it's broken in half. Well, it's, yes. And it's, it's, pull, it's busted inward. Inward, see? right. Inward. It's an implosive force, not an explosive. Um, Whoa. So take a good look at this geometry here. Now, remember the cone, how the cone separates the flows. Remember we, I pointed out the cone to you in the vortex tube? Yes. Right. Okay, so this is basically doing the same thing. So this is, this is one scheme for, right here you can see the carbon dioxide, carbon dioxide. This shows the movement, positive generation. And notice here, four, three, and two. These are the ratios. Inches. Yes, in this case, inches. Okay. Um, so the, the outer layer of the CO2, the chamber is four inches wide. Yep. And the inner chamber with, what's going through the inner chamber? Is that cold water? Argon gas. Argon gas. Okay, that's two inches wide. And then, let's see, plus water in gas phase. So water vapor is going in the two-inch one. In the two-inch one. And it's coming out this end it's a minus into the engine that's where it goes into the engine yes i'm not going to try to explain all that of this looks like some bicycle rims with those that pine cone vajra on the inside it is bicycle rims and it looks like there's some sort of like purple aurora around the that pine cone vajra here yeah is that am i seeing shit does it look like there's some sort of like purple like light around it uh, yeah, I think you're hallucinating. Okay. This is actually looking down one of those tubes that imploded. And it's interesting that it's trying to create a hexagonal shape. Mm. Now, why did they implode? Because the accumulated plasmoids embedded in the metal had this coherent uh, zero point. When I come back, I'll have a better explanation of what's going on there. Okay. But 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 see, here's the thing. All of this, we're going to, as this proceeds and the experiments are going on and different people are trying things, there's going to be an ongoing dialogue amongst experimenters and inventors and, and technicians and mechanics and people that are building these things and testing them and experimenting with them and trying to understand. I mean, I mean, I've heard, you know, PhD physicists go, okay, I see what's happening here. I don't really fully understand what's going on. Really? Oh, yeah. So if, if you know, somebody with a PhD in physics is still trying to figure out what's going on, I'm a geologist right. and an architectural designer. So, <laughs> you know, don't expect me to, to, to give, give me a few more months at least. Mm -hmm. Right. 
Um, so, yeah, we're going to just speed through some of this. Now, um, wasn't Malcolm saying something about in 1923 there was a patent for a Model T Ford using water? Yes, there was. And I don't know the, the background on that, um, but that's true. Yeah, there was. There, in fact, several, I think. Um, and this is, this is, okay, so this is a basic assembly here that could be adapted to chimneys and capturing the affluence from chimneys. Now, this is a simple testing mo uh, mock up here, but it could certainly be done on a much more sophisticated level. But this was just to test, uh, to try to uh, see what, you, what was capable of attaching this thing to a chimney, uh, particularly with the uh, a, a coal chimney. Like for a coal stack? Yes. At a power plant? Yes. And in fact, one of the companies in India that is now very interested in the licensing of this is looking at this application because they're building coal plants. Um, a Hartman whistle is something else somebody can research if they want to try to understand the, the scientific background of this. I won't try to explain it now because I don't fully understand the the workings of the Hartman whistle. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see, you know, we've got in this particular... So is this, if this was retrofitted onto the chimney stacks of energy plants and coal, uh, you know, coal plants. Yeah. Is it possible, do they speculate that they could basically get it to where it's zero emissions or, or zero pollution coming out of those chimneys? Yes. Pro that's probably the, that's the ultimate goal. Uh, where it's at now, you reduce it to almost insignificant levels coming out. And here, this is showing a retrofit of... And more power, obviously. Yes. Falcon Futura... MSAT plasmoid energy retrofit, so it could be retrofitted to cars. Um, here is another, this would be for a jet turbine. This is where it really gets interesting. And I'm not going to try to explain this because I'm still studying this, but you can see it's got, uh, there's that cross section mm -hmm. of the torus there. Um, and it's capturing all of this. There, it, there's videos that explain the idea here behind mm. this. Okay. Um, so I would recommend that people go online, go to HowTube.com or Strike Foundation, and you can find links to all of this. You can download the videos, watch them yourself, mm -hmm. um, links to other work that supports this. You know, there's been other, a lot of papers presented on plasma, potential plasma technologies. The work of Ken Shoulders uh, very much preceded the work <laughs> of Malcolm, and all of his papers are available online. You can get them, you can download them, you can read them. And then we will be forming a study group that we can, that people who are working with this can, can learn about it. Um, and this is, this is the, the scheme for a jet engine. Wow. Um, so there's, there's a lot to it. Um, what are the skeptics saying about this? No, well, nothing other than, oh, it's a hoax. It's just a hoax. It's just a hoax, Yeah. I mean, they, they're not making any, nobody's making an intelligible argument to explain any of this away. Mm -hmm. And in fact, like I said, several of the skeptics who come on, look at it and, and have said, well. It's hard to understand. So it's. Yeah. Let's introduce this video. All right. So what, what is this video we just found? This is, this is uh, an interview between Gary Ling, who has been associated with the, the plasmoid work, friend of Malcolm's for years. 
He was there at this London build-out, and George Lush did the annealing of the of the components for the thunderstorm generator, and then he was there as an independent witness to the uh, installation of the thunderstorm ge- of the technology. And now he's giving his response to it. Admits that he was initially skeptical. Um, highly credible individual. You can do the research. He's third generation. Um, and again, uh, this is an interview between Gary Ling and, and George Lush right here. Okay. Uh, who has, whose company has been annealing the hemispheres on this project. And uh, George has come down to visit us on site. And so, George, can you tell us a little bit about your background and who you are? And I know you like tea. So yes, tea, tea, tea is the primary fuel. Um, yes. So, yes, George Lush, my company is Lush Heat Treatment. Um, we're aerospace uh, heat treaters. Um, we've been in the in the business for well many decades. We started in 1952, um, and our main business is space uh, and aviation, metallurgy. Uh, it's all all the high end stuff. We work for British Aerospace, Rolls Royce, with NADCAP. You name it, we're approved for it, buy it. And was I right that you uh, were were the annealers? Yes. Uh, can yes. you tell us a little bit about that process well, for the hemispheres which yes. are used well, on it's, this it's project? On, on this first iteration, um, it was a, rather a time pressure. So, because of material availability and speed, these were just done as a sort of temporary first evolution in just mild steel, um, n- not in the expectation that they would be a long lived device, but purely to prove concept. So, we ran an anneal on the material so that it was. You know, homogeneous and uniform and would lend itself to, to further working and then the welding and every other operation that's gone on. The degree to which everything about this is so madly counterintuitive um, and, and again being asked to come out and experiment with, with you know, take part on the experiment on site today and running the thermal camera and seeing it for myself, it, it, it just astonishing results and the, the difference of 300 degrees on a just a small copper pipe uh, and, and the, the bottom chamber isn't even a chamber it's just an elbow on this this tiny little facsimile of the proper system and the elbow at the bottom is 330 degrees and the outlet pipe beyond it four five inches away it's 30 degrees now i can tell you from the conductivity i'm no great physicist the conductivity of copper it's impossible to be four inches away with a flow going through from something that's 330 degrees, four or five inches away, it's 30 degrees. You can't just drop 300 degrees, not possible. But right. I've just seen it happening. Right, so that was, today. On, that was on the 432, which is, as you say, just, we call the Chonda. Yes, and, and that's just, a smaller. Just down at the, at the bottom of the, the um, device. Yes. Um, and seeing the, the, the top of the, the, the small sphere at the top. Uh, this little test unit, um, and, and 330 odd degrees, 340 up there, but then within a few inches on the transfer pipe, dropping down to 180 degrees thereabouts. Yes. There's no other way to explain it. The facts are there, the, the, the evidence is there, and I was panning the thermal camera up and down, quite convinced that I'm making a mistake here, I'm, I'm not hitting the right thing but so many times, up and down and up and down, 
and it was it was it was recording and showing the same thing. So hopefully, when when the the film is is examined and downloaded, it will give better data. Mm. Again, I'm not the steadiest hand with a camera. But time and again, 300 plus degrees on the ball at the top, down in 170, 80, something like that, in the middle of the pipe. Then the pipe at the bottom where it goes into the elbow, 300 odd degrees, and then on the outlet pipe to the exhaust dropping down to about 170 degrees in six or seven inches. There's just, everything about it is massively counterintuitive and there's no explanation for it rationally uh, to, to be displaying the, just, just the temperatures uh, and changes that are going on. So the, the diagrams that are posited from the earlier experiments and, and theories are proving to be exactly what's going on um, but there's a lot more to learn here in, in terms of the behavior of everything um, I, I just you know I find it's, it absolutely fascinating yes yeah, so you've so um, we still got obviously the big testing on the uh, the 24 and 18s yes the, uh, the, you know well, which that's, are, that's, we're on our way with that yeah. or we will be soon yeah. but the, you've seen all the construction of the stuff that you with the components that you've put in. Yeah. Uh, it's quite impressive, isn't it, really? It is, it's, it's, it's really, it's always nice to see things that I've seen only as okay. this, this is good. in their this final the state, thing. but also that- Give it one more minute. Okay. I was just, I, I ran out of fingers and toes, so I put it on a spreadsheet, just thinking about the applications for this, so. And uh, what what was the, well, well it, it, can you give us a, just a short outline well, of that? Yeah, all right. So, bigger power stations, put them on power stations, the power stations are now spitting out 20% oxygen as they're exhaust. Everyone's going to like that. The, the carbon dioxide and monoxide particulates from, from what we've seen so far on the um, sensors, drops away to zero or so near to zero that it's... Just to be clear, that's the uh, the sensors on the MSART technology yes. that's currently configured. Yes, and particularly on the Chonda, which is a small one, but yeah, and it's it's that it's making the point that even now at just the first evolutions of this, that it's working so well that the 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 um, MSARTs are, are just turning out twenty odd percent oxygen as an exhaust gas, and you see it when they switch it off and it falls away, and then switch it on and it comes up. Um, this thing's pumping out clean air. You could go into a Swiss it's mountain meadow. It's not as clean as the exhaust on this. Yes, I mean, that, that is a, a, a principle of just ludicrousness, just to illustrate how absurd and yet true the, the exhaust readings on this are. Now, I'm, I'm as skeptical as it gets. If you don't show me evidence, I, I don't believe you. Uh, and, and seeing these results, it's just sort of, not believing them, and I was looking at them and I was thinking, oh, no, I must be being stupid, I must be misreading this. This thing's putting out 20% oxygen, whereas before, on this reading, before it was turned on, it's, you know, nice, nicely running engine, it's sort of 11, 12% carbon dioxide, and an engine running quite well, but it, it's pumping out pollution, well, that's what you're going to get. Yeah. Then you switch this thing in, 20% oxygen, negligible carbon dioxide and monoxide, um, and, and, and it, it's astonishing, but it's working. The, yes. the evidence is there. So yeah, returning to the applications, fit it on every power station. Another big um, 
pollution emission is, is shipping transport. So figure all the container ships in the world should have these fitted to them. Cruise liners, same thing. Um, it's just that you know, the, the cargo is passengers. All the, all the trains running diesel, for instance, fit these on that. Your fuel economy is going to go through the roof. Your emissions are going to fall away to nothing. Um, what else can we do? Oh, now the other one that I thought was interesting, and again, it's just a, a thought, but where the early evolution, where they played about with the Venturi just to see where in the, the uh, pipe gives the sweet spot, they got cryogenic results. It was, it was minus 50 or 60 or, or somewhere there. So right away, the air conditioning industry just stopped because you've got a 50-story glass office building uh, in a city and you put this technology down in the basement and you're pumping cryogenic air straight out of it. So you've got no refrigerants, no CFCs, no pollutants. You're just creating cold air as a, as a, a byproduct normally or cooler. Wow. You can set this up to be pumping out cryogenic air pump it around your 50-storey building. So if you figure, how much does it cost to run a 50-storey New York City office building's air conditioning for a year? How much electricity does that consume with the attendant carbon and all the rest of it? Now here's another one. You fit this to every vehicle. It's on every truck, every bus. Yeah, here. You don't need uh, you know, a 22-kilo air conditioning pump under the bonnet of your car. Sure. Your car's no. running a tiny little plasmoid motor as well as you know on the side so you're using half as much fuel or whatever you're getting all the power out of it your tailpipe emissions are 20 percent oxygen you've got a million of these cars going around a city that's all smoggy and horrible and then once it's these cars each car is just pumping out 20 percent oxygen the, the cars yeah. on the street yeah. become a big city park of trees that go down the road. Yeah, I think that, that's, that that's, believe you me, I think there are a lot of the mega corporations who have that one in their sights. But George, that's, look. That's one, but you figure your car is now 25 kilos lighter, set up one of the Venturis. Maybe we can set this up with two Venturis, one for main feed and one for cryogenic. Sure. That's your air conditioning. That's taken care of. That's Amazing. a load of mass. You don't have to make air conditioning pumps anymore. The factory for that can be converted to something useful. You're not having to produce uh, refrigerant Well, it's probably gases. good, Steve. That's good. Wow. How many more tests do we have to do before this starts becoming something that's more mainstream and used by some of these big mega corporations? Well, <clears throat> those tests are ongoing right now. Like I said, there's like a major testing laboratory in the United States that's doing a series of tests that I think is going to go a long way to establishing the credibility mm -hmm. of this. Um, but yeah, there's um, several countries that are interested in the licensing. So we'll see what happens over the next six months. Um, I think this thing could explode if there's not... Implode. Yes, it could It could go big if there's not um, obstruction, artificial obstruction. Why would there be artificial <clears throat> obstruction, do you think? Well, like he said at the end, you know, would this, again, well, you want to know what I think is that, you know, the... There's huge, huge hundreds of billions of dollars of investment now in the green new energy, you know, the um, the alternative energy, what they call the clean energy. Um, Wind and solar. 
wind and solar, and basically this makes that completely irrelevant. I mean, it's completely irrelevant if this goes on a large scale. But, I, it, you know, it may happen. I think it's going to happen simultaneously on two levels. I think you've got, you know, you'll have this group of, of people, and some of the people that I've seen that are very interested in this are, are very bright, intelligent, young people that, that are studying physics and mechanics and engineering and things that are getting interested in this. And so I think over the next year we'll see more of the small-scale applications, you know, retrofitting like this guy Jordan who does um, – uh, Alchemical Science. It's a website that he does. He's been really getting into this and um, studying the principles. And I just heard that I think he is going to be retrofitting a car and Malcolm and some of the team are going to be helping him with that and perhaps providing some of the components. Uh, and, and one of the ideas is to basically create kits that you can... Because one of the things that George was 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 really saying here is that Really, the applications of this are, are mind-boggling in terms of, you know, the things that could be done. I mean, it's just, I think it's very much parallel to, you know, where we would have been 120 years ago trying to under wrap our heads around alter alternating current electricity. And, you know, you know, you start talking about the applications. Well, what are the applications of this? Well, I mean... Well, if you can just imagine, like when we first came up with the combustion engine and started developing steam engines and diesel engines and cars, imagine if we would have started with something like this instead, where we would be now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I don't know, you know, I mean, again, you could, that's a kind of a whole nother separate study is the history of these kinds of ideas. And again, like Malcolm says, he didn't originate a lot of this. I mean, there were other inventors and scientists that worked on these ideas and built prototypes and tested them. And mm. they all met with obstacles usually thrown in their way, you know, having their patents stolen, having very, you know, suppression. There's a, there's a whole sordid history of what's happened to these inventors and, and scientists that have attempted to uh, go down this road. And that was why the whole strategy now is to open source all of this. So, you know, there are licensing for specific applications, but overall, the, the basic principles are totally open sourced and all of the schematics, like the things I was showing you earlier, it's all there. Anybody who wants to, to dive into it, the notes, the schematics, the videos, it's all there. Um, and so some of this testing that's going on will probably be made public relatively soon. Uh, I'm not sure when, but again, like... A lot of people at the Tesla uh, tech conference out in Albuquerque a few weeks ago have gone away with an interest. Maury B. King, who, um, who has presided over Tesla technology uh, studies and applications and stuff for decades, uh, he pres was presiding over this particular conference. At the end of it, after they tested the, the, uh, the technology, he his and and it's on video. He making the statement that uh, he thinks this technology is decades ahead of anything that anybody else is doing. And so we'll see. I mean, but I think that the potential is there to, if if there's if this isn't suppressed, if it isn't, you know, um, 
have obstructions thrown into the pathway. I mean, the potential here, I think, is to completely change the industrial landscape of the entire planet within a decade. Sounds almost too good to be true. Well, it does sound almost too good to be true, but we'll just have to see how it plays out. And if enough people get on board... Um, Has he thought this through? Has he thought this through as far as how some of these massive energy mega corporations could make money off this and transition to this slowly? If Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And I think that there is actually that potential for some of the mega corporations. Just, well... For example, the, 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 the retrofitting of coal stacks in India. The Indian government is looking at that. And it's very possible that could be one of the first large-scale applications of the basic technological principle. Um, and if they do that, you know, if other countries are interested, and there's a number of other countries that have been looking at this. Um, let me read from – this is now – this is – what I've got here is this is Alpha Prospects. Alpha Prospects is um, – Handling the licensing, okay? And they are a little bit about this. Um, Alpha Prospects is an energy-based investment holding company. It owns 15% of Strike Energy, a U.S. incorporated company which has been granted the license for the revolutionary Molten Sea Arc Atomic Reconstruction Technology, or MSAT as the Australians pronounce it. Um, by the Strike Foundation, which owns the intellectual property rights. Now, the Strike Foundation is the nonprofit side, and Strike Energy is the profit side. Okay. Um, in July 2023, Alpha Prospects was granted the exclusive license to MSAT technology in Thailand. Alpha Prospects also owns 10% of Strike Foundation. Um, in addition, the company has a portfolio of other investments in energy, and then it goes on. Um, it says in the subtitles here, the subheadings, game-changing fuel-saving technology significantly reduces carbon emissions, set to revolutionize energy and power industries. Major manufacturers are now lining up for testing, unprecedented, unprecedented data in trials, Wide variety of applications, dividends expected next year. Um, so it goes on. I can, we, can, we can copy this, and I can leave you with this if you want to read the whole thing. I'll just read a couple of highlights here. M MSAT allows for the recovery of waste energy and the removal of toxic emissions from the exhausts of industrial processes and internal combustion engines. The technology enhances the energy efficiency and emissions profile of any industrial device or process that produces heat. Aspects of this technology are commonly referred to as low energy atomic reconstruction or LEAR and also plasmoid power. A plasmoid is a coherent structure of plasma and magnetic fields that's well understood in the scientific literature as part of electromagnetic particle theory. Plasmoids are found naturally in thunderstorms and in the rare phenomena known as ball lightning. MSAT creates plasmoids in exhaust gases to recover waste energy and recycle it back into the system, as well as converting harmful emissions into water and oxygen. The key advance 
is that the whole process is undertaken with low energy inputs. Splitting carbon dioxide molecules isn't hard at high temperatures, but it's expensive. Doing it at low and economic temperatures is likely to be a major game changer because it can be achieved at minimal cost. How does it work? Firstly, air is ionized using UV light and introduced into the system. Second, plasmoids are formed in water by passing the ionized air through a catalyst. Plasmoids are then generated by collapsing cavitation bubbles, which are created by a vacuum and then imploded by applying pressure. Finally, the cold plasmoid and water mixture is passed through a catalytic tornado resonator. That's the thunderstorm generator. This comprises two spheres. The exhaust gases from the engine act on the plasmoids and energy is released in the form of a heat that is sufficient to charge, to change the molecular structure of the exhaust. Energy is also transferred to the plasmoids retained in the water vapor, which is then added to the fuel intake of the engine, either through a carburetor or fuel injector. In the process, energy is released at an atomic level within the exhaust stream, altering its composition and eliminating toxic chemical wastes such as carbon monoxide, nitrous oxide, hydrocarbons, and other toxic harmful compounds. And finally, tests have been conducted at several locations and will shortly be ramped up to an industrial scale via established partnerships with power generation companies in the Far East. The most recent tests in the UK were conducted in July of 2023. These aim to ascertain to what extent MSAT reduces engine exhaust emissions, increases engine power, and changes the temperature conditions of the engine. And so it goes on, the commercial applications, it shows some of the test results. So what is it talking about with the molten, the molten sea? What is the connection there? Well, I'm not clear on that, but that was one of the things that was a source of inspiration for Malcolm, was the molten sea um, that is described in the Bible in the Old Testament associated with King Solomon's temple. And I'll have more to say on that once I've had a chance to look into it a little a little further. Hmm. Um, but we can quickly, quickly look here um, at at some of the applications. This is, um, we saw a bit of that in the video. If I go back, we'll, we'll just go through this quickly here. So you can see the, the build out. We started with this, the build out in the, in the machine shop here, here, this, this guy is creating the sphere and this is an interesting video. We won't, we won't watch this video, but okay. but yeah, this is how they're creating the spheres. The thunderstorm generator. Yep. And there's some of the finished spheres. Now, one thing I'm going to show you, which is very interesting. This is the transition piece between the spheres and the pipes. If you take this rim right here and this upper rim, so this is the transition between... Um, you know, this is where the smaller pipe uh, comes into the sphere, and only one angle works, 
right? That 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 with with maximum with optimum efficiency. And that angle, you can measure that angle from the rim, the top rim to the bottom rim. So if I was to draw a like a cord line from the top rim to the bottom rim, that uh, that optimum angle is fifty one point eight four degrees. Does that ring a bell? Fifty one point eight four degrees, which Remind I think might is. be an important hint here. Fifty one point eight four degrees. The optimum angle for this thing is the slope to base angle of the Great Pyramid. Exactly. So let that sink in. Does that possibly suggest maybe what the great maybe that somewhere near is a hint? Now, are we getting into like, is there a connection here with angles and measurements to different frequencies? Oh yeah, yeah, and so so this is you know where. You know, again, there's no proof of anything. Maybe it's just a coincidence that it worked out that they tested various angles of these transition components, and it turned out that the optimum angle was 51.84 degrees. I don't know. Maybe it's coincidence. It's the Great Pyramid. But if it's not a coincidence, if it's not, what does that mean? I don't know. Other than the fact that, is there a hint? that there may be some kind of a function there to the Great Pyramid that involves... There's many theories that the pyramid was a power plant. I'm sure you're definitely yeah, aware. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this might support that. I don't know. Because, again, I I learned that and I thought, well, wait a second. 51.84? I've seen that before. Right. Yeah. What What do you make of the theories, like the, the Giza power plant theory? That the, well, the I, I, to be honest, I haven't really studied it. And I, I can't, you know, I, I don't like to make a pin, pe- present opinions on things that I haven't really studied into. But learning this fact was enough to make me decide to, to study further into that idea. Okay. But now, with the idea of how, is it possible that somehow this was involved in the utilization of plasma energy? You know, there have been reports of anomalous lights and even ball lightning associated with the apex of the pyramid. So, again, that's more suggestive of what might have been going on here. And then I think in the ongoing research, these are the kinds of questions that are going to come up. Now, I'm going to show you something else here. When we look at, uh, oh, when we look at the, the Vajra. Stephen, is that something that you can find, uh, like balls of lightning near the Great Pyramid? Yeah, light, light uh, illuminations, things like that. Um, let's see here. Because there is, if you look at the diagram of the Great Pyramid and you look at all the different passageways that move through it and the chambers, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it looks like something that was built very similar to something like this. And I know Ben talks about how the Great Pyramid gives off this like low frequency sort of it gives off some sort of frequency when when it's really quiet and it makes a some sort of a sound. Mm-hmm. Now, the, based on what we've seen, let's take a look at the Vajra again. Now, remember, you saw the thing, the, how the importance of the cone at the end of right. the technology. Yes. Look at the Vajra. Could this be a? Could this be your swirl chamber right here? 
and you've got the tube running down, and you've got the cones at each end, which would suggest that the Vajra was really just a component of a much larger machine. And maybe the insertion of the Vajra here, this, that we're basically just looking at the, the heart of a machine, just like, um, you know, just like Gary Ling said when he was pointing out the thunderstorm generator, well, here's the heart of the whole system, right? Where were these Vajras found? Oh. Do you know? Many places. Um, yeah, there's many depictions of them. Um, the Vajra inter- instrument of cosmic power, two examples. That one on the top looks super old. Doesn't it, though? Yeah. Perfectly symmetrical. Mm-hmm. And look, you see you've got the cones at the ends, you've got the tube running down the middle, and you've got the swirl chamber right there. Could these have been part of some kind of plasma technology for the control of plasma? I don't know. I'm just looking at it and calling attention to that, and I'm trying to encourage other people. I want many intelligent minds, curious minds, innovative minds looking at this, and too many people looking at it, too many smart people investigating it, looking at it, seeing the potential of it for it to ever be bottled up again. That's part of what my goal is. So, and then, of course, Zeus holding the thunderbolt. It says, note the spiral form of the Vajra right here. And that, remember, when you had the, the, the imploded Taurus and the plasmas, the plasmoids, the mm-hmm. plasmas are whirling down in the form of a vortex in a spiral vortex. And there we have a spiral vortex right there in Zeus's version of the thunderbolt. So, again, I don't know. I don't know, but I think it's it's suggestive enough that maybe it warrants further investigation and consideration with an open mind. Mm. The Zeus hole hurling a thunderbolt. Yeah, that looks just like that thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have instinctively believed, and with some substantial evidence, that there has been a lot more sophisticated knowledge and scientific knowledge in the ancient world, even to possibly the prehistoric world. Exactly what form that took, I was never clear on. I didn't have any specific vision of what that was other than that there was enough, there's enough out there that just doesn't fit into the prevailing explanations and paradigms of ancient history. There's just too many things that are anomalous, right? Now, this is just one example here, what was going on with, with Mithraism. And what's interesting here, you know, again, look at this, the coil of the serpent. Is the, is that's, there's, your, there's your coil again. See, that could be – and it, it, there's so much here um, to dive into that we couldn't really get into it all right now, obviously. There's your molten sea, and it's half of a, half of a sphere, mm-hmm. and all of the numbers – are the are key numbers like Malcolm when he studied those numbers realized that those numbers were again what he did these these the numbers like the four three two that shows up over and over again that was the basis of the whole system of of the divine kings of Samaria the the time cycles of the Vedas it's also a number that's embedded in the Bible over and over again four three two yeah four three two and those are the optimum sphere ratios of the spheres four three two. Um, so again, I, I don't know. It would be worth... Could they be just coincidence? Sure, could, I'm not going to... Could the angle of that thing being 51 degrees, just like the angle of the pyramids, be just a coincidence? 
I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to complain that it proves anything. I'm not going to proclaim that. But I'm also going to consider what if it's not a coincidence? Might be a coincidence. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's got to be investigated, not by somebody who's made up their mind beforehand, before they've looked at the evidence of what's possible or what's not possible. It's got to be investigated with an open mind. And, you know, you, again, with coincidence, it becomes a matter of how many coincidences are we allowed before we finally go, okay, this has gone beyond coincidence. That's the question. But when we're talking about like the, some of the ancient technologies that were lost from the ancient times, for for example, some of the stuff that Ben shows with the symmetry of yeah. these these insane pieces of these vases mm-hmm. that are made out of the hardest stones and they're perfectly symmetrical within one one millionth of an inch, um, and the Great Pyramids, the moving of these enormous multi-ton stones not only moving them for hundreds of miles but elevating them to the top of these pyramids is there any is what is there anything that suggests that this plasma technology obviously this technology is great for emissions and having clean emissions but is there any evidence that this stuff could actually be responsible for moving these massive stones or creating some of these perfectly symmetrical vases? Well, I, I have not pondered how this might apply to creating those perfectly symmetrical vases. Certainly, if we, uh, maybe Steve would look up uh, look up stone cutting and plasma. Okay, so what's going on here? Oh, they're cutting stone with plasma. Yeah, so they're already doing it. They're using plasmas to cut stone. Whoa. So, I mean, perhaps we could explore the idea that at least from the quarrying end, the cutting of the stone, perhaps was utilizing some kind of plasma technology. How, how does plasma cut stone? Here, search search for this. How do, How is granite cut today? Granite can be cut wet or dry using a circular saw or an angle grinder. Cutting wet granite requires wet cutting saw. Okay. So it's just a regular saw. It's not conventionally used with plasma, but obviously it has been done with plasma. Yeah. I mean, there is a whole method that, and again, I haven't looked into that. Can you find like a description that explains how it works? Plasma cutting is a process that cuts through electrically conductive materials by the means of accelerated jet by an accelerated jet of hot plasma. Typical materials cut with plasmas, with a plasma torch include steel, stainless steel, aluminum, brass, and copper. Although other conductive metals may be cut as well, plasma cutting is often used in fabrication shops, automotive repair, restoration, industrial construction, and salvage and scrapping operations. Hmm. It's interesting stuff, isn't it? It is, especially when you start, start stacking it on to and comparing it to all the sacred geometry and these numbers and finding all yes. the correlations and yes. all of the depictions yes. of these vajras and stuff and ancient yeah. texts and ancient depictions. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what to make of it, but it's definitely is interesting. Well, I'm still wrapping my head around it. But, you know, like we talked about earlier, you know, the, there, there is the question of the possibility of ancient civilizations, which I think... We haven't proven the existence of an ancient civilization, you know, in the say in the in the sense that like Graham Hancock talks about it. But there's so many anomalies that 
it's kind of gotten to the point where, you know, for a century and a half, they've been brushing all of these things under the rug that would seem to suggest a much deeper, much more complicated and complex and sophisticated past to human civilization on this planet. And what I've now learned about the plasma technology, it seems to me like the natural um, candidate for being the basis of an alternative technology. And the other things, the tantalizing things that we are looking at here and going, it looks coincidental, but maybe it's not. Maybe there is more to this idea of the Vajra and being an implement of power, a tool of of power that wielded by the god Indra or Zeus or whoever it might be. Is it possible that that's a remnant of, of a much ancient, more ancient knowledge of, of a kind of a technology or a scientifically based civilization that may have not looked anything like our own fossil fuel based civilization? Mm. That's the point. And that's the point I think that we are making in the podcast with Ben is that you know, if we're looking for, in a mirror, for whatever an ancient civilization might have, have looked like, and we're looking in that mirror, we're just, in, we're looking for a reflection of ourselves, we might be missing it. But, I mean, we could go down a list, and Graham's, you know, Graham's work really is is definitive in that. You know, he has gone as far as anybody I think else has gone towards establishing a case that there is something that our modern explanations of history and prehistory are just not explaining that they're that they're almost deliberately ignoring and and that really to me became obvious with the mainstream attacks on ancient apocalypse and the misrepresentations and the character assassination of graham and so many others whose names we won't mention um because of the fact that there could be this blowback um but they're out there and anybody who does this kind of research is going to quickly learn all of this on their own. Uh, and that's what I'm trying to encourage people to do. Ask questions. You know, be skeptical, just like George Lush was skeptical up to a point. But then it, it gets to the point where, you know, it gets to that level where at some point you got to go, okay, I think there is something here. We can make a case that there's something here. And I started thinking that years ago after I, started having my conversations with Malcolm and and things seemed to converge between what he was saying and things that I had already learned but I didn't have the scientific foundation to to say yeah this makes perfect sense but I've learned a lot I've still got lots more to learn but I've definitely now seen that there has been multiple levels of tests going on um and you know, have now myself been able to witness some of these tests going on and with credible people who are there as much to debunk this as to prove it. And they're coming away like George. Well, it's counterintuitive. How does this work? I don't know. I've just seen the results for myself. So he says, you know, there's a lot of work to do to to piece all this together, to to unpack all this and figure out what the scientific rationale is. Um I think what I'll do is we'll go quickly before we get to the end, maybe yeah. just show you the build out of the latest. Could we go back to my uh, laptop, Steve? But here you can see the fabrication of the of the, lar the largest to this date scale, industrial scale thunderstorm generator. And what was this one retrofitted for? 
This was retrofitted, we'll see in a second. This was onto a 400 kilowatt generator on a power plant. Oh, wow. There you can see the concentric spheres. We'll just quickly go through this. There's, there's your bubblers. bubblers. Yep. Um, and here's the power plant. That's Gary Ling again. That's the housing for the generator. Okay. And that's, one of those is an engineer, and one of them is the manager of the plant. These guys are not going to uh, turn over and allow their big generators, uh, you know, to be retrofitted with this unless they were convinced there was something there. Okay. So, Wait, and where did you say this was again? Well, it's somewhere in the British Isles. Okay. Let's see. So this this is the the generator right here that they're about to retrofit. Okay, so there's here the truck is come to the site. Uh, let's see here. We don't need to go into all of this right now. Um, all right, so there's the there's the thunderstorm generator on the truck. Let's see. And it's being hoisted with the crane up onto the generator housing. That is bizarre. That is <sighs> lowering it into place. And then there's the crew doing the assembly. There it is in place, and let's see here. Uh, we'll just keep going. And okay, so here this is showing how the the dimensions and the proportions are critical to this thing working properly. Mm. So here you have 12 inches, one foot. Right. right. I think we were talking about that yesterday, weren't we? Yeah, we were. And again, showing the measurements, how the dimensions are very precisely constrained. And here, this is leading from the bubbler up to the thunderstorm generator. The bubblers are down here below. And there's the technology now installed on top of the generator housing. We won't. And so now they put the heat resistant paint on it. Um, and here's the bubblers down below. It says bubblers in place, ready to start producing plasmoids. That's This is the type of generator, 400 kilowatt Perkins diesel generator. This is not the actual generator, but this is what's mm -hmm. down below. This is that, That's what's here that they've now retrofitted. And there's the bubbler in operation. This is Whoa. slow motion. Yeah. And those are all the toroidal. The, bu the 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 bubbles you're seeing are not the ones generating the plasmas. Okay. The micro scale bubbles are the one because the the larger bubbles are not symmetrical enough. They have to be symmetrical. Okay. And this is part of the heat analysis showing what this is what was astounding George Lust so much is how the heat changed from hot to cold just literally in a few inches. Mm -hmm. That was the that was the thing that that puzzled him. Oh, whoa. This is a thermal view of it. Yeah. This is nuts. Yeah. 
328 degrees Celsius, where he's pointing it at. That's 700 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, keep going. Let's see if he points it somewhere else and see what it changes to. Well, I've got, there's like a dozen of these thermal imaging videos, and I only put one in the show. Okay. Keep, show keep, so keep, oh, is that, is that the whole thing? That okay. was the whole thing. Okay, got it. Well, let's see. Oh, that was just a still image. And here you can see some of the results. So here's a Honda generator with petrol. That's regular gas. And if you look here, you can see the carbon dioxide up here was at 10, 11, 53. Before they turned on the technology, was 9.3%. Here it is like four and a half minutes later. Zero. It's zero. Here's the carbon monoxide, 5.48%. Zero. Here's your oxygen. 4.66% of the effluent was oxygen after they turned the technology on 2097 Hydrocarbons in parts per million, 199 down to 58, and your nitrous oxide in parts per million, 27 down to 4. And you can look similar. Here's Honda with tip gas. Tip gas is, uh, oh, this is a British term again. Um, <laughs> I think tip gas is the gas that is emitted from uh, landfills. I know they did test that using on gas emitted from landfills. Um, and again, you can see similar. Look at here. Uh, oxygen, 21.37%. Perkins insane. with mains gas. And, you can, yeah, and, and again, all of this is online, posted. Um, so here's the, the, the rough. So this is the same data you see right here coming directly out of the gas analyzer. CO2, 9.3%. Mm -hmm. And then over here, you can see it's 0.0. .0. Carbon monoxide, 5.48. And here, zero, zeroed out. Um, oxygen, 4.66. And then 20.97. Um, so, yeah. Whoa. Look at that. Where did... Where do they get this? I would have to ask Malcolm. He's been to India. And in fact, I was involved in one of the conversations with, um, his name's Tom Carpenter. He's the head of the India Foundation. And he's the one that set up meetings with the Indian government. And the Indian government might be the very first large-scale application of this technology. And I, I actually participated in the initial conversations with uh, Com Carpenter, he is the uh, head of the India Foundation, and it's a liaison between the French government and the Indian government. He had high-level contacts in the Indian government, and he went to them with this technology. And um, at one of the meetings I went to, uh, one of the admirals of the Indian Navy was there. I met the man, uh, and the Indian Navy is, like you saw that George Lush was pointing out the potential applications of this technology yes. to ships. Could be the Indian Navy might be one of the first two. Are there any other like, <laughs> bizarre, crazy, out there applications that don't involve clean energy? Like, is there anything that's like outside the spectrum of energy that we could that this could be used for? Like, outside of like cars or or smokestacks or engines? I don't know. I would say probably, but I'm not going to 
put my neck out there on the chopping block and say, yes, there is. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm still learning. What, so, what's like the wildest speculation that people are talking, that Malcolm might be talking about? I think about? space propulsion. Space propulsion. Yeah. Using this as a propulsion system. And there is a, there is, yeah, there's one of the things that's uh, kind of on the drawing board now is a prototype jet engine that could be used both as a power plant in like submarines and in space, space propulsion. Like for rockets. Mm -hmm. Now you would think there would be a better way other than just blasting rockets into outer space. So you would think you wouldn't even need a rocket, right? You would think you could get something else that could just pull itself through the universe. Like some of the crazy anti-gravity technology that some of these guys are talking about with UFOs. Uh -huh. How these things bend, they fall through gravity by basically uh, creating some sort of anti-gravity. I don't know the physics of it. Well, there are, there are some concepts out there that are pretty esoteric as far as the plasma plasmoid uh, uh, applications. But I've deliberately not tried to dive into those yet. Only because I'm still, like I said, I'm, I got to get in at least high school, plasma high school before I do that. I'm still in grade school. Mm -hmm. So, what is that? Can you show that slide that you were showing before that showed like the big mountain, like the diagram of the mountain with the rockets inside? Um, what does that say? Earth is what? Or, okay, it's so Earth diameter. You should recognize that number, right? Can you blow it up? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, seventy nine twenty. I remember that number from yesterday. Are you kidding me? I'll never forget that number. <laughs> God, <that's, laughs> and thirty nine sixty is that's the radius. radius. So double thirty nine sixty is seventy nine twenty. Got it. Okay. Now this is showing a diagram of solar wind, the sun's diameter, which is eight sixty four, and radius of that number four three two, the radius of the sun, solar wind, solar wind leaving the sun. Okay. So essentially, like these machines could just use energy from the sun to operate and not have to use fossil fuels to start up. That could be what this is implying. Because see, the key is you have to get you have to get matter up to the requisite temperatures to disassociate the electrons and the neutrons. And I, right. as I understand it, that was the function of the ionization chamber. Right, right. Was to it, it enabled the reduction. To, and that's what they're calling the Lear, low energy, uh, low energy. Uh, shit, I don't remember now. I'm getting tired. I guess. Yeah. Um, I better probably have another head off the here. <laughs> off the. Uh, no, we're on the final stretch, anyways. Let's wrap it up. Yeah, let's wrap it up. Ooh. <sighs> Woohoo! There you go, Randall. I'll, I'll send you some. Oh, okay. But yeah, I, this is. Oh yeah, go back to that one with the yeah, rockets. This is definitely what I'm. I'm going to be diving into this absolutely because this is where it really very fascinating to me. Um, but how it works, don't ask me to explain it yet. But you All can right. see a spacecraft launcher and payload delivery system, and that schematic, that exploded schematic that I showed you, is the idea of of building these engines using that are running on plasma energy. Mm -hmm. So that's further down the road, and I'm not ready to even attempt an explanation of that yet. Um, but you can well, see, it's fascinating. And thanks for showing these slides. The slides, the slides are 
are wild. Yeah. This looks like rockets that are housed inside some big mountain. And yeah. I guess they get pushed through that plasma generator tube. Uh, I'm guessing that's what's going on there. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot to this. Um, and this is my the first time I've ever done a, a, a recorded public presentation diving into this much detail. Okay. On, on this. Uh, but it's good because, um, like I said, I, I'm very much now a student of this trying to understand it. And I think that there's multiple dimensions to this whole phenomena that many people will be exploring for years to come. And we'll be figuring out applications that we haven't even begun to imagine yet. Um, and I've seen enough now to become convinced that it's real. And the, the I mean, now there are dozens of people that I'm aware of that I've communicated with or I am aware of that have seen it and participated in the testing. Not, you know, not lightweight people who have a strong scientific background. So... I think at this point it's 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 past it an, an important hurdle from the time I made those first comments on Joe Rogan. And that is these three levels of testing that have now been demonstrated. One, the what I just showed you, the, the retrofit of the power plant in England, um, what happened at the Tesla Tech conference there, and what is now happening as we speak, which hopefully soon we'll we'll have be able to get you know, reveal the specifics on that. It'll be interesting to see how this evolves and how it pans out, especially when it comes to like mainstream people in academia at, at universities starting to study this stuff and taking it seriously. And like you, we were talking about before we started the podcast, being published in journals mm -hmm. because you were even saying that some of the stuff, the evidence of the Younger Dryas and the Younger Dryas period with the cataclysms that happened there contributing to the ch drastic change in climate mm -hmm. is still being... It's being kept out of the journals. Yeah, that's what it seems like. And this, and what's interesting is that that first 2007 paper that came out proposing a, a younger Dryas impact was published, I believe it was at the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. A lot of the articles that have come out subsequent to that um, were published in the mainstream journals, and there's dozens of them. I mean, I have copies of all of them. I've read all of them. Um, you know, that's something I can actually talk about with a little bit more um, confidence, say, than I'm talking about plasma technology, because it's something I have been actually studying for years. Where these two dovetail is the, is the idea that if you've got evidence of these ancient catastrophes that have remodeled the surface of the globe and potentially caused the collapse of civilization, um, then we have to kind of open our minds like we were talking about earlier. Number one... Don't be looking in a mirror. Don't be necessarily thinking that an advanced civilization or a scientifically sophisticated civilization has to look like our own. Because if you're looking for a, a mirror image of our own, we could overlook it. The second thing is, is realizing, and this is why I do the tours, why I'm trying to bring people into the field, and I've been bringing more and more geologists into the field to try to show them, uh, here is the evidence and here is the, 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 the language of catastrophism, like we talked about with Ben. So when when the the the, um, the the interview with myself and Ben, when you post that, people will be able to listen to that. You know where I'm discussing this this idea that you know there's a whole uh, there's a whole grammar 
of this that I'm trying to get people. It's it's literacy in being able to read this story that's writ large into the landscape of planet Earth that has literally, but literally been waiting 13,000 years to reveal itself. And we're now at that stage where we can see that. We can begin to begin to decipher and actually read this epic story that has been waiting eyes to see, the ears to hear, and the mind to comprehend. And that's what I'm trying to do with these tours. Now, this comes along and dovetails with that, I think, because, and and we'll get more into, we'll have more discussions on this, I believe, as we go further down the road. Um, But you saw just a few tantalizing hints that perhaps some variation of this kind of technology was already had been discovered and utilized once upon a time. Right. Maybe even in prehistory. And what we're seeing in the legends and the stories of Indra and Zeus and the Vajra and the Vimanas and all of this kind of stuff that would seem to imply some kind of a technology, maybe it's not just the conjurations of pre-literate you know, out of control imaginations, but is actually fragments uh, of memories of something that actually once existed. And from what I've learned up to this point, I would say I can come up with no more uh, potential candidate for what a technology would have been based upon than this, the, the utilization and the control of plasma energy. And when I learned that, 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 that the, the geometry and the frequency and the numbers that, that are measured by these frequencies are key to the operation of this technology, that seemed to confirm what I had instinctively realized through my own studies of sacred geometry, that it was more than just an aesthetic, that there was something probably scientific and technological at the base of sacred geometry. Why are ancient cultures using sacred geometry all over the world to build these structures? Right. Yeah, it's just, you know, so I think we may be on the cusp of something very interesting because on the one hand, application of this technology, like George Lush is that we watched the interview, he's just, you know, his imagination is, is, going crazy, thinking about potentially what could we do with this, right? Literally, the potential might be here to change the industrial landscape of the earth. I mean, it could be as profound as the shift into the internal combustion engine or the utilization of alternating current energy. Um, And if this is not suppressed, maybe a generation from now, the landscape of the earth is going to look very different. Um, and like George Lush said, I mean, if you out, if you retrofit cars with this that are now producing toxic exhausts, they're now each car is like a tree mm. emitting 20% oxygen as they drive. I mean, that's astonishing if that's true. So on the one hand, we may be looking at a window into our future with this, but at the same time, we might be looking into a window into our own past. <sighs> that's a beautiful way to wrap this up, man. Randall, thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate you walking us through all this stuff. And uh, I hope people watching or listening uh, can investigate this further. Mm-hmm. And if they want to, where can they go to find some more of this stuff? And oh, RandallCarlson.com, okay. HowTube.com, and The Strike Foundation. Awesome. I'll link it all below.
Awesome. Randall, it's been enlightening. It's been fun. Thank you so much for coming down here again to do another round of podcasts, and uh, we'll get you down here maybe maybe next year. Sounds good. Awesome. Thanks, Dan. All right. Goodbye, everybody.